Blog Talk Radio. The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free book by John called None Other, Discovering the God of the Bible. This detailed look at God's character can strengthen your trust in the Lord and deepen your love for Him. Request your free book by writing to noneother at gty.org. That's noneother at gty.org. The offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2018. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's Grace to You Bible teacher John MacArthur. And now you can open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
Now, we are talking about the future coming of our Lord. And for those of you who have not been with us, there are two events ahead of us in this world. The first is the snatching away of all Christian believers. That is discussed in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. We looked at that. It's often called the rapture of the church when all Christians will be snatched out of this world by the Lord to meet Him in heaven to the place where He has prepared for us. There will be a resurrection of the bodies of all believers who have died. They will come out of the graves, new glorified bodies to be joined to their spirits already in the presence of the Lord. And then those who are alive will be gathered and all of us will go to heaven where we will forever be with the Lord. That's the most important part of that event. We will always be with the Lord, as verse 17 says at the end. Following that catching away of all believers, there will come to the world a time of severe judgment. It is identified as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, as we've been telling you, is a term that sweeps across Holy Scripture from the Old Testament into the New Testament and essentially defines divine judgment and in particular divine judgment at the end of human history. The ultimate final day of the Lord is the end of man's day. It's the end of Satan's day. It is the Lord's day to bring judgment. Believers will be removed and judgment will break loose in the world. This is prophesied many places in the Old Testament declared by our Lord during His ministry and detailed in the book of Revelation. But we find ourselves, having already discussed that event, which is a signless event, could happen at any time, where the Lord snatches believers out of the world. We've come to chapter 5 now to talk about the day of the Lord. And we've essentially looked at the opening three verses that introduced the day of the Lord to us, and we've expanded from there to see how it's basically described throughout all of Scripture. Now, I want you to pick up the text back at the beginning of chapter 5 because I think it all is important to be in your mind. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. That was because Paul had given them full instruction on the rapture and on the day of the Lord. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. It comes in the night in an unexpected way. The day of the Lord is that cataclysmic, final, ultimate judgment of God on this world. While they are saying peace and safety, they will be apparently in a time of security and safety, which is laid out for us in the book of Revelation. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Now at this point, we get the picture that this is not for believers. There's no place for believers in this event. We've already been taken out in the rapture. Then comes this event. And that is affirmed in verses 4 through 11, which is our text for this morning. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. 
So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Paul says here there are two kinds of people in the world. There are night people and there are day people. There are people of the darkness and people of the daylight. There are people who are drunken and there are people who are sober. It's about the night people and the day people. This is not a new theme in Scripture. In fact, it's a very old theme. I would take you back into the Psalms at Psalm 107, one of the great salvation Psalms. It calls for thanksgiving for salvation. But listen in particular to Psalm 107, verse 10 and following down to verse 15. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore He humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. Verse 13, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the sons of men. The psalmist says there were those who dwelt in darkness and the shadow of death. That's the night people. All of us at one point were among the night people prisoners in misery and chains, rebels against the words of God and the counsel of the Most High. But there was a time by the prompting of the Holy Spirit when we cried out to the Lord in our trouble, and He saved us out of our distress and brought us out of darkness and the shadow of death. For that reason, we give Him thanks for His loving kindness and His wonders to the sons of men. We worship because we have been delivered from the darkness. So that is an Old Testament concept. I want you to see it in the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 9, there is a wonderful promise given about the coming of Messiah. And it attaches it to the appearance of light in the darkness. It speaks in verse 1 of Isaiah 9 about the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. This is by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then it says about those people sometime in the future, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. This is a direct prophecy that the light is coming to the darkness and it's coming to the land of Galilee, specifically the land of Galilee. What is this light? 
Or better, who is this light? Go to verse 6 of Isaiah 9. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That is no other than the Messiah. So Isaiah prophesies the Messiah is going to come to Galilee, and the Messiah is going to be a light shining in the darkness. When you come into the New Testament, in Luke chapter 1, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, has received a message from heaven that he is going to be a father, along with Elizabeth, his wife, the mother of the prophet that's going to announce the arrival of this light, the Messiah. Zacharias praises the Lord for what the Lord is going to do in giving him a son who will be this prophet. Go down to Luke 1:76 and hear the words of praise from Isaiah, speaking of John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias, knowing the prophecy of Isaiah that the light would come, identifies the light as the sunrise from on high, the Messiah, who will shine on those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. In Matthew chapter 4, we read in verse 12, a wonderful promise fulfilled. When Jesus heard that John, John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, his ministry is over, he withdrew into Galilee. Jesus goes to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, just as the prophet Isaiah said, the light would come from Galilee. This was, verse 14, Matthew 4, to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. You can see that God speaks in terms of Messiah's coming as light in the darkness. Even the psalmist understood salvation as being delivered from the darkness into the light. In John chapter 8, very familiar and oft-memorized words from the lips of our Lord, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, 
but will have the light of life. Jesus is light. Paul was on the Damascus Road. The ninth chapter of Acts records the account. Light comes out of heaven, blinds him, knocks him to the ground. The Lord delivers him from blindness and sends him to preach the gospel. Paul described his calling this way in Acts 26, verse 18. Powerful, clear understanding of his calling. What, what is your calling? The Lord says to him, verse 17, I'm sending you to open their eyes, Jews and Gentiles, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. The prophet says the Messiah will be light. John the Baptist says the Messiah will be light. The Messiah says he is light. The apostles preach that he is light and he brings light. Colossians 1 tells us that he rescued us from the domain of darkness. Ephesians 5 says we were formerly darkness. Now we are light in Him. 1 John chapter 1 identifies us with those same terms. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you. God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, all of that just to say, God distinguishes throughout Scripture between the people of the night and the people of the day, the people of the darkness and the people of the light. Only two kinds of people in the world. My grandfather used to say, just two kinds, the saints and the ain'ts. From a biblical standpoint, it's the night people and the day people. In this passage before us, in chapter 5, we see the night people associated with darkness, associated with sleep, associated with drunkenness, then we see the day people associated with light and alertness and soberness. Paul is making this distinction. He's identifying the people of the day. What is his point here? Why is he doing this? He's doing this to encourage believers. What was happening was this. The Thessalonians were aware that Jesus was coming. They had been instructed about the rapture. Some of them were worried that perhaps they had missed the rapture somehow or God had changed His plan because there was a lot of persecution life was difficult. Maybe they were in the day of the Lord. Maybe they were in the time of God's judgment. In fact, there had been a letter written that was purported to be from Paul, though it was a deception saying the day of the Lord had come. They are concerned about that. Are they going to have to go through this time called the day of the Lord? Are they in it already? Paul writes this 
to comfort them. Look at the end of chapter 4. Therefore, comfort one another with these words about the rapture. You're going to be taken away before this starts. Be comforted. And chapter 5, verse 11, same word. Therefore, comfort one another. Encourage one another. Build up one another just as you also are doing. This is written as encouragement. Encouragement to them and encouragement to us. Now, they knew about Christ's coming. In fact, they knew it so well. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, you don't need anything to be taught to you now. You've, you've already been taught this. You know the Lord is going to snatch His church out and then bring judgment on the world. You know all of that. Let me remind you why you should not fear that you're going to be caught in the day of the Lord, the future divine judgment. Let me do this to comfort you. Because the judgment of the Lord is horrific on the world. It's laid out in detail starting in Revelation 6 all the way to Revelation 19. This is not the first time such comfort was necessary. Go back to the last book of the Old Testament. This is a parallel experience of believing people. The prophet Malachi is telling people about the coming day of the Lord. And it's a terrifying reality. Malachi 3, 2, who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? Who's going to survive? He's going to come like a smelter and purifier of silver. It's going to be a time of burning. It's going to be a time of judgment. Verse 5, swift judgment against sorcerers and against adulterers and those who swear falsely and those who oppress the wage earner and his wages, the widow and the orphan, those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. And He calls on them to re return to Him. Be saved before the judgment comes. Judgment was going to be terrifying, extremely terrifying, and they were fearful. The judgment in chapter 4, verse 1, was going to come like a burning furnace. All the arrogant, every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch. Complete consuming by the fire of the Lord in judgment. Well, there were believing people among the children of Israel listening to Malachi's message. You see them in chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. What were they saying? They were saying, whoa, wait a minute. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us? Are we going to get caught in this judgment? And they talked about it to each other, and the Lord gave attention and heard. And a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem His name. Those who belong to Him, He wrote their names down in His book. In verse 17, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I 
prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Verse 18 says, God will distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. Down in verse 2 of chapter 4, you who fear My name, this is so beautiful, the Son of righteousness, the light, the Messiah, the sunrise, as Zacharias called Him, the Son of righteousness will rise with healing with health, eternal health, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing. The Lord always remembers His people. He has a book, and their names are written there. God always promises to the righteous that they will escape His wrath. So we have this same kind of fear as in Malachi's day among the Thessalonian believers. And Paul is comforting them, as he says at the end of chapter 4 and verse 11 of chapter 5. This is for encouragement for them and for us. He makes the distinction between the rapture of believers and the day of the Lord on unbelievers between being caught up to heaven to be with the Lord and being destroyed in hell forever away from the Lord, between deliverance and wrath, between life and death, hope and no hope, day and night, light and darkness, being awake and being asleep, being sober and being drunk. Simple contrast. The description shows the absolute distinction between believers and non-believers. But this is written to comfort us. Any fearing Christian who knows what is coming in the day of the Lord in the future can look deeply into this passage and have their fears calmed. There are teachers of the Bible who say believers are, are going to go through the day of the Lord. We're going to go through the time of tribulation. We're going to have to take all of that fury from heaven. I think this passage says something very different than that. We will not be in the day of the Lord because we will not experience His wrath. In chapter 1, verse 10, it was part of the faith of the Thessalonians that they were waiting for His Son, God's Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. They had been taught by Paul that they would be rescued from the wrath to come, and that rescue is the, the rapture, and then comes the day of the Lord. And I told you last time, we'll get back into that outline now, there are three reasons why day people don't end up in the night of the day of the Lord. Reason number one, the distinctiveness of our nature. The distinctiveness of our nature. We looked at this last time, verses 4 and 5. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. The day of the Lord will come, verse 2 says, like a thief in the night. You're not part of the darkness. You're not part of the night. Verse 5, you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. He says it about four times over. We have been delivered from the darkness. We are the people of the light. 
The domain of darkness is the domain of the unbelievers. They are dark in their minds, the darkened mind, and they are dark in their conduct. They are dark mentally and they are dark morally. But we are in the light. We have been enlightened by the truth and we have been given the light of life who is Christ and with Him has come righteousness, virtue. The day of the Lord is not for us. We are not people of the darkness. We have nothing to do with that. We're in the Lord's book, His book of remembrance. Sin has no dominion over us. It has no condemnation on us. We have no place. We are day people, not night people. We have no place in the day of the wrath of God because of the distinctiveness of our nature. Secondly, the distinctiveness of our behavior. And we started looking at this in verse 6. So then, so then, since we are different by nature, people of the day, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now he's talking about our conduct. Identity and conduct are inseparable. If you're a true believer, you're going to, it's going to manifest itself. You're not everything you should be, but you have been given a new nature. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away and new things have come. That's what Paul essentially was saying in Colossians 3 that I read to you earlier. Since you are heavenly people, since you died in Christ, you rose in Christ, you're seated at the right hand of God in Christ, since heaven is your home, you ought to act like it. You have the power to act like it. You have the new nature to act like it. Don't fall back into the old patterns. The commands that Paul gave in Colossians 3, the commands that are given to believers anywhere in the Bible, are basically to live in a way that's consistent with your identity in Christ. Your pattern of behavior is very different. Verse 8 puts it this way, since we are of the day, since we are of the day, there's a certain way for us to behave. And it's completely distinct from the darkness, the sleep, and the drunkenness of immoral ignorance. That is not our pattern of conduct. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness, rescued from the night of sin and ignorance, rebellion, unbelief, disobedience. I want to go back to Romans 13 where we ended last Sunday and just touched lightly on it. Paul says in verse 11 of Romans 13, Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. That is the final aspect of salvation. When you believed in Christ, you were saved from the penalty of sin because you were forgiven. You are now being saved from the power of sin as your sanctification overpowers sin. One day you will be saved from the presence of sin 
That's the final aspect of salvation, and that's what He has in mind here. Your final salvation, when you're saved not only from the penalty and the power of sin, but the very presence of sin, is nearer than when we believed. Every day you get nearer to your final glory. The night is almost gone. We're, we're still surrounded by the darkness and the night, even though we live and walk in the light. The day is near, the day of our Lord's coming. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. Stop doing deeds that were dragged in from the darkness of your former life. What do you mean? Behave properly as in the day, not in, here's some samples, carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. The end of verse 14, not operating in the flesh based on lust. Look, that, that's still a problem with us because even though we are people of the day and people of the light, we're still human. We're still in the flesh. Our flesh has not yet been redeemed. That won't happen until the resurrection. So we can do the deeds of darkness. They aren't going to be the dominating pattern of our lives, but we can certainly hang on to those things. He's saying, don't do that. Put on the armor of light. Arm yourself. Clothe yourself with light. Verse 14, he adds, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the armor of light is. He is the armor of light. Put on Christ. Behave like Christ. Now you can go back to 1 Thessalonians. We are the people of the light and the day. That's how we ought to act. Three times he says, let us, let us, let us. Let us, verse 6, not sleep. Let us be alert and sober. Verse 8, let us be sober. Again, there is a certain conduct for us. It's different than how other people live. Unbelievers are spiritually in the night, in the darkness, in the blackness of ignorance and immorality. We are not. We have been given life. And we have been given light. Sleep is natural to night people. Drunkenness is natural to night people, not to us. Godly behavior marks us. Let's look at a passage that will help with that. I've been reading a lot. That's 2 Peter 1. I've been reading a lot about the Puritans lately and even about the, the Reformers and their emphasis in preaching. You go all the way back to the, the Reformation starting in the 16th century, and you will notice that the preaching majored on not only the person of Christ and the gospel, but, but the application of that gospel preaching majored on the concern of the Reformers that people understand the difference between a true Christian and a false one. That literally is all through Reformed preaching. They were very concerned about that because they were coming out of the quote-unquote Holy Roman Empire, which had engulfed the whole Mediterranean world. 
and uh, baptizing babies. Everybody was in the church and everybody was quote-unquote a Christian. They were in a system where there were few true Christians and many false Christians, and many of the false Christians didn't know they were false Christians. So they were constantly preaching about the difference between a true and a false Christian. This extended into the Puritan era, into England, and English Puritans, even American Puritans. If you follow great biblical preaching of sound doctrine, you will find constant efforts to help people understand the difference between a true believer and a false believer so that people don't end up going to hell from the very portals of heaven. That was the first sermon I preached here. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. People who think they're going to heaven who are not are ubiquitous in institutional forms of Christianity. And so all those great preachers majored on helping people understand what true salvation was. I was reading one interesting sermon by uh, a great American theologian and seminary professor named Archibald Alexander. And Archibald Alexander summed up the marks of a Christian, which they were constantly talking about, with three simple marks. He said, true Christians will be manifest in these three ways. One, love. Love for the Lord. Love for His Word. Love for His people. Love for the lost. That's what will mark true believers. Jesus even said, by their love you'll know they're My disciples. The second thing Alexander said is, by their humility. Coming with that love is an eagerness to humble themselves before their Lord and God, and even to humble themselves among each other. There will be a desire to obey, to hear the truth and live the truth, and even to serve others the way Christ did in humility. And the third thing Alexander said is that they will be marked by holiness. Their lives will be characterized by righteous thoughts and words and deeds. Now, we're not saying that we're going to be marked by perfect love or perfect humility or perfect holiness or even anything close. Those will be, however, the trajectories of our life as a true believer. You will love the Lord and you will need to and you will long to love Him more. You will humble yourself willingly, but you will need to humble yourself more. You will seek holiness, but you will need to seek it more your whole life long. You might say, well, look, if, if I'm already secure and I'm already headed for heaven, why would I worry about that? You don't worry about that if you're a believer. That, that's not alien to you. That's the real you. you. You don't have to conjure up love for the Lord, love for His Word, and love for His church, and love for the lost. That's your nature if you're a true believer. You don't have to beat yourself up, pound yourself down to, to be humble. There is just 
an element in that new creation that bows the knee before the Lord and even others. And you don't have to look at holiness as if it's some Everest that you have to climb by yourself. It's the longing of your new heart. So let me say at the beginning then that you don't need to fight to muster these things up if you're a true believer. If, if you're fighting to muster them up, then they're not spiritually natural. You're not a believer. What you have to do is fight against the things that mitigate against those impulses. Things that fight against your love and your humility and your holiness. Say, so, well, why, why, would I, why would I bother fighting? Peter gives us a great answer to that in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1, verse 4. The Lord has granted to us precious, magnificent promises. And by those promises, we have become partakers of the divine nature. We are new creations. We have a new nature. We have escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, delivered out of the darkness into the light. Now, for this very reason, because of who you are, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Work hard so that those virtues can triumph over the temptations that come against them. Why? Verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, which assumes they're never going to be perfect, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing. If you're pursuing love and humility and holiness, if you're pursuing these elements of godliness, you will be useful and you will be fruitful. Since you have the true knowledge of the Lord, the biggest disappointment in your life or my life ought to be that I'm not useful. I'm not fruitful to the one who redeemed me. So you apply all diligence in the direction of righteousness so that you can be useful and fruitful, not useless and unfruitful. And that's, that's the positive. The negative is this, verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Here's the statement. If these things are not characteristics in your life, you will not enjoy the security of your salvation. You will not have the confidence that you're a Christian. You'll live in fear. You'll live in anxiety. You'll live in doubt. And the more you know about the coming day of the Lord and horrific judgment and the fires of eternal hell, the more fearful you will be. 
So verse 10, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. He knows. You're not, you're not giving God the information. He knows He called you. He knows He chose you. The question is, can you enjoy that knowledge? You can. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble into doubt and fear. If you're to be comforted, if you're to be encouraged, if you're to be strengthened in living in this world, you have to follow the path of righteousness. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So, we do not sleep, verse 6, as others do. So let us be alert and sober. Alert means awake. Gregoreo, from which the name Gregory comes. It's um, the idea of watching to rightly assess what is going on, sometimes used with a view to the future. Sober, free from the influence of intoxicants, but more than that, free from the influence of distractions. It's, it's talking about being able to settle on priorities. Keep your focus clear. So, focus on what matters. Be alert. Get your priorities right. Live in a calm, consistent, balanced, steady, spiritual way. As you live like that, you're going to enjoy the assurance of your salvation. You're going to receive that as a gift from the Holy Spirit. You need have no fear. You're not part of the night people. You're not part of the darkness. The day of the Lord has nothing to do with you. He says that essentially in verse 7. Those who sleep do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk get drunk at night. But verse 8, since we are of the day, he says it again, let us be sober. That means get your priority right. Think clearly about what matters. Be watchful. Picture of a vigilant soldier given a responsibility to be on duty, be alert, be awake, be wise, be armed. Yes, be armed. Look at verse 8. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. There's no sword here. This isn't Ephesians 6. We're not fighting demons with the sword of the Word here. The picture here is of uh, defensive armor. Put on a bulletproof vest. That's essentially would be the modern counterpart to a breastplate. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, it's something you already have. You're already wearing it. And uh, the helmet is the hope of salvation. The breastplate of faith and love. What is he talking about? Faith in the Lord and love to the Lord. That's what protects your confidence. That's what protects your assurance. If you are trusting the Lord, that means you're trusting His Word, you're obeying His Word. If you are loving the Lord, delighting in devotion and obedience to Him as the one who is the object of your affection, it is in the midst of that complete trust in the Lord that shows up in obedience, that full love to the Lord, which also shows up in obedience and worship, 
In that situation, you have on a bulletproof vest. And no enemy, not Satan himself, can take away your confidence, your assurance, your comfort about the future. And then you have as a helmet the hope of salvation. We have salvation, yes, in the sense that we have been forgiven. I said that earlier. The penalty of sin has been dealt with and we are forgiven because of the death of Christ. The power of sin is systematically being dealt with in the process of sanctification. But he's talking here again about the hope of salvation, the third and final phase of our salvation. Hope really is bright and produces joy when we walk in obedience, in faith, and love. Then you're protected from fear and doubt. You're protected from being shot here, from being hit in the head with anxiety, fear. Hope is certain where love flourishes. Love flourishes where faith is strong. That's the armor you need to be protected against things that would frighten you about the future. Where faith is weak, love is cold, and hope is lost. Where faith is strong, love is zealous, and hope is bright. We need have no fear, but we will only enjoy that hope if our life is marked by following the distinctiveness, the distinctiveness of our new nature. One final thought. We're not night people because of our nature, because of our behavior, and thirdly, because of our destiny. Verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath. It couldn't be simpler. God has not destined us for wrath. That's not our future. That broad statement has really no qualification there. It's just a blanket statement. And how Wonderfully encouraging is that. Listen to Romans 5, 8, and 9. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining that final salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation, meaning deliverance from the darkness. Once we were children of wrath, now we're children of God because we have believed in Christ. It's that simple in John 3.36. And this is a verse to keep in mind. John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. All of humanity divided. Those who believe the Son, light and life. Those who do not believe the Son and consequently demonstrated in obedience, the wrath of God abides, rests, remains, and stays forever on them. These texts about the wrath of God are spread throughout the New Testament. Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5, 
Again, Romans 9, Romans 12, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Revelation 6, Revelation further all the way into uh, chapter 14. And the wrath of God is looking at this terrifying future, temporal and eternal judgment on unbelievers. But that will never happen to us. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 10, died for us. He died for us. For us. We are saved from the wrath of God through Him. He became sin for us that we might know the righteousness of God in Him who died for us. That is a specific death for us on our behalf with reference to us. Or John 10:11 puts it this way, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It was an actual atonement procuring as God's peculiar people, His chosen to enjoy the ultimate destiny of eternal salvation. While the rest of the world is plunged into the wrath of that future day as well as everlasting hell. He died for us. It was a specific death for a specific group of chosen people. We're not destined for wrath. So, he says in verse 10, whether we are awake, that is still alive, that's what was bothering the Thessalonians, or asleep, believers who had died and they were worried about what's going to happen to them in the rapture, we will live together with Him. And he explained that in the rapture passage, didn't he? We'll all be together. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those that are alive and remain caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air and will ever be with the Lord. We are people of the day, not people of the night. We will all be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and we will never, ever feel the wrath of God. It's alien to our nature, it's alien to our behavior, and it's alien to our destiny. So verse 11 says, Therefore, comfort one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Is that not good news? We're people of the day. And one day the Lord is going to come and take us out before the judgment falls on the darkness. Father, we thank You that You have led us to the truth that the light not only was shining in Galilee, but the light is shining throughout the world through the glorious gospel of Christ. We thank You that You brought us out of the darkness, the domain of darkness, into the light, that we who once were darkness are now light in Christ. We thank You for the promise that as the world gets darker and darker on its own, the darkness getting darker only sets the backdrop for the moment when the light shines. We look forward to that time when we meet You in the air and go to be with You forever in that place You prepared for us. We look forward to that. But at the same time, what is joy to us is also sadness because the 
the events after that are going to be horrible. So, Lord, may we be useful and fruitful in proclaiming the gospel, the gospel, the good news of rescue from divine wrath. What an amazing message. We are telling sinners and people of the darkness that God desires to rescue them from Himself, to bring them under His love and grace so that they will never know His wrath and judgment. Press the message of truth to every heart as you would see fit. We, we pray in our, our Savior's name. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. And for details about the Masters University where John serves as president, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. And now this is the wrap report, uh, and this is from the 3G uh, conference interviews Andrew Rappaport did. Here you go. All right, today we have another of our interviews from G3. And so this will be some fun stuff that we have for you. We will have some surprise guests pop in at the booth and so take over someone else's interview. It was a great time. So we will have some discussions with a pastor who was formerly an atheist that we met there. We're going to talk to some folks from CARM and a special podcast that we will start off with to start our interviews from G3. Hope you guys enjoy this. Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is the ministry of Striving for Eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. All right, welcome to the Rap Report. I am your host, Andrew Rappaport. Today we have some interviews, as I said, and the first one up is the guys from Theology Driven. They drove themselves over to our booth at G3. I'm just going to say, listen closely, because the long, heated debate that I've had with those guys Regular listeners, you know, we like to bust on these guys. Love them. they got a great podcast. My running joke is that they actually are not driving while podcasting. And the evidence is revealed. Yes, yes, they accidentally revealed the evidence that proves in my mind that I'm right that they're not recording while driving. Give a listen and you tell me if you agree with me. Here's the interview with the guys from Theology Driven. All right, so here we're at G3, and some guys drove in. They just kind of drove their way to the booth here. So welcome to Theology Driven. A weekly mobile podcast in which we explore the open road of life through a biblical lens. <laughs> Without Kevin. I just was amazed that you guys got it right for once. <laughs> well, we don't typically mess it up. It's usually just James that messes it up, and Kevin has to edit it out. 
Although, to be fair, I always delete the tracks that I mess up so that Kevin is forced to re-record. <laughs> That's how I get away with sounding smarter. Although, Kevin doesn't actually... Wait, 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 wait. You think you sound smarter on your podcast? Then I could. Not oh, necessarily, oh, okay. Not necessarily in general, but like as opposed to how I could sound, yes. But there was a time when Kevin used to edit out the volume so that we there were less spaces in between uh, oh, I used our to pauses. Do that too sometimes. So mm-hmm. it sounded like we were really fast, like Al Mohler, like, hey, 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 hey. Well, see, I, I actually, so I used to be really fast, um, being from Jersey. Mm-hmm. When I pastored at a Chinese church, I didn't quite realize I had one of the ladies, like after I was probably the third or fourth May 5th message, and she says, Pastor Andrew, can you do me a favor? I said, sure, what's that? She goes, could you slow down? I have to translate. <laughs> oh, wow. 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 And I suddenly realized, oh, yeah, I speak like a mile a minute. <laughs> and like, that's probably a tough language. Yeah, that's going to be yeah. a really so brutal she, language. So she was taking my English and having to translate sure. it in her head to Chinese. Mm. Actually, it's even worse. So Chinese, my, my, uh, we, we speak Cantonese is what my wife would uh, speak. Okay, yeah. And when the church would speak. And so we had a lot of Cantonese speakers. So Cantonese is even harder than Mandarin. Yeah, I've heard. Mm, Mandarin yeah. has uh, five tones where Cantonese has nine. So <clears throat> basically at the beginning, middle, and end of a word, it can go up, it can go down, or it can stay the same. So that tone is a different <clears throat> a different word. So when I was trying to impress my future mother-in-law, I was trying to ask if she had a good breakfast, which literally would be translated early meal, Mm-hmm. Jotan. Instead, I said Jotan. You guys picked up the difference, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah I'm a Cantonese she, scholar, actually. I asked her if she had a good abortion. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Way to impress the future mother. Yeah, I, she I just went, her jaw hit the ground, and I'm like, I'm tapping my my future wife at the time. I'm like, what did I say? What did I say? She's like, you don't want to know. You just don't want to know. What did I say? <laughs> to be fair, though, I think there's got to be a huge distinction between abortion and breakfast in that language. Yeah, there, I, I asked her literally be. for early yeah. pregnancy. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's how different the language is. And so, yeah, I sometimes, when I try to order at a restaurant, because of my accent, I get funny looks, and I'm going, I don't know what I just asked for. <laughs> just don't go for brunch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some yeah, food I don't know how to say it in English. So. Yeah, you're the Americans they write newspapers about, Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. They're the guys from Jersey <laughs> that uh, we want to avoid. So They're not the figureheads of America, just so it, we're all clear. <laughs> hey, hey, we are the figureheads. Have you, have you not seen every mafia movie? They're all from Jersey. Goodfellas? Probably from Jersey. Probably. Okay, so... Uh, I, I, look, I've only witnessed to Ray Liotta. I didn't actually... I actually watched the movie only because someone asked me if I knew who I was, who I was, uh, I was doing open-air evangelism. And this woman said, do you know who that was that you were preaching to? And I said, no. She's like, that's Ray Liotta. I said, okay, who's that? She's oh, like, really? you've never seen Goodfellas? I'm like, no. So I actually watched it to see that. Oh, wow. She actually was in mm. the restaurant with him, sitting next to him. And they were discussing my preaching in the restaurant. Three blocks away. Wow. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> and so she came out to, like, thinking she'd encourage me that they were discussing mm-hmm. what I was preaching about. And uh, then he walked up, and I had no clue. And so. Was he a nice guy? I don't know. He, we, I mean, he just, there was a, I, I just remember him coming, and a crowd formed, and, um, you know, he, he stood there for a good couple minutes, and then he walked off. Wow, no heckling or anything? That's good. At least no. you didn't heckle. I was I yeah. was gonna try to pull because I saw a crowd and I was gonna try to pull one of them in as a heckler if I would have known. I mean, I, I preached to the the folks the cast from Jersey Shore, 
Oh, really? Oh, wow. Really, really intelligent people they are. I, I got to tell you. I mean, the one time I'm standing huh. on the box, and um, as as they're walking by, um, I'm, I'm kind of noticing uh, something that obviously one of their actors or actresses, whatever you call reality star, uh, didn't notice. And uh, so you can tell when they come because they have these huge cameras, I mean, like two in front and two in back. And we'd always love preaching there because you'd always have a crowd and they'd always try to get us on camera. We had this unwritten rule, whoever was up on the box when they came, you're not getting off for until your voice gives out because they mm. want to, you to sign off that you will, you know, that they could use that footage. And we're just using them to build a huge crowd. We'd have hundreds of people because everyone's like, oh, Wow. And we'd just be we'd be preaching like nonstop. So I, I literally I saw them coming, and at this point it was toward the end of the season. They kind of were used to us, yeah, and knew they already knew I wasn't going to give them permission, and so they weren't looking to stop. So I just went, look, there's proof of evolution. She has a tail, and sure enough, out of her pants is toilet paper from wherever she went to the bathroom, and, and it's all the way down, and she, she looks, and she like smacks her friend, you didn't warn me, this is on film, they're just going like, this will make great footage, no one told her, and, uh, she, oh, she was, so she stopped, and sure enough, I grabbed the crowd for a little while, oh, that's terrible, hey, when you're an open air evangelist, you do things to keep a crowd, to get a crowd, and mm-hmm. she, it looked like she had a tail, I mean, evolution must be true there. <laughs> so, so how long have you been doing uh, open air evangelism? I've been doing open air as far as, far back as I can date mm-hmm. uh, is 94, 95. And oh, the wow. only reason I can date that far back is at my church, we had a policy that if you're in a ministry or doing something in ministry, mm-hmm. you had to have a philosophy of ministry that was submitted to a church. And so I had been doing the open air and my church said, hey, you've been doing this a while. You're a member of our church. We want you to write a philosophy of ministry. So hmm. 94 is when I wrote the philosophy of ministry. So I was probably doing it soon, earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that I, the first time I could kind of say that I was doing open air was back in the late 80s. But hmm. it wasn't really planned. I knew nothing about open air. I just, I was at college and talking to two people. Mm-hmm. And some others came in. And before I knew it, I ended up having 30 people. And then, you know, I was raising my voice to be heard, and I have a voice that could get loud. And, you no know, but I, way. I, yeah. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah, yeah. So, You've been open-air preaching since I was four years old. Ouch. Wow. You know, I'm just talking with Les Lamp here, and, and we're, we were talking about the fact that yeah, I made a Fonzie reference, and he didn't get it. Who's Fonzie? Yeah, thanks. You don't know what? So Happy wait, Days? Come on, man. No, 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 yeah, yeah, no, I know Happy Days. I know Happy Days. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so... so Fonzie's you, the guy... You're, is you're he the guy that jumped the shark? Yeah, in his motorcycle? He's the one with the slick hair and the leather jacket? No, he jumped the hey. shark in... He jumped the shark in he, jets and skis. Yeah, you don't jump a shark in, uh, in a motorcycle. He, he, well, he, I, he I jumped other things in motorcycles. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say a different one. Was the shark in the tank, then you could do that. Science. Yeah. He did a bunch of stunts. But he couldn't say that he was wrong. Kind of like a lot of people online that say they're Christian, huh? Anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> so speaking of that, so we're, we're here at the conference. How, how, what are you excited for to see in this conference this week? Well, see, I'm, I have a booth, so I'm going to be sitting here at this booth giving away books. You've already given away books to us. Yeah, but none of my books. That was a John MacArthur book. That that was totally different. But still, thank you. Yeah. So no, actually, I I've I've come to G3. This will be my third year, and in three years, 
so far, do you know how many talks I've, I've listened to? Probably one. I know you were there for Justin Peters last year. Yeah, and so the two that Justin Peters, when he was speaking, I was there listening to those because I was helping you know, set up and helping him with stuff. So if we don't count those two, one. You're right. It's because you're always was, just stuck in the booth. I'm just, yeah, I, I'm... Wow. You know, my board, they're like slave masters. It's like, you know, they're in there listening, and I'm out here working. Just, they're like... Get to work, man. Get to work. <laughs> Who are these guys? We need to have a conversation. I think we need to. They're here. They're actually. They'll be here. Right, we'll scold them. Yeah, a couple There's, of them will be here. I should say. I'm like, do you know who we are? And he'll he'll be like, no. And I'm like, I figured that. But let me tell you anyways <laughs> that you're wrong. How okay. the back of this so car. So I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I really I'm gonna point out one of the board members, and I want I would love for you to do that. Okay. Because I'd love to see when he says, do you do you know who I am? And you're gonna go, no, but I'll give you a piece of my mind, and he'll be like. Really? Let me choke you unconscious. <laughs> oh, it's that guy. It's that guy. It's, it's, yeah, he's a black belt karate and jiu-jitsu. It's a jiu-jitsu. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, don't so, mess with jiu-jitsu. Yeah, he's, hmm. he, he, so he, he and I rolled once, and his daughter decided to, he, she's like, hey, Dad, when you roll with, with Mr. Rapport, can, can you, you know, do a smother choke? And, and, and Frank's a pretty big guy, so he's got a lot of weight to help with the smother. That's just a painful choke. It's, it basically what it does, it pushes all the air out of your lungs, and when you try to breathe in, there's nothing you breathe in, and it just burns, and you're just like, okay, <laughs> When I was in the Navy, we had to do, uh, we had to do uh, vessel board training, um, and part of that training, you, you're required, you're required to, to be choked out as a part of the training. Anytime you do something, like whether it be holding a taser or holding pepper spray, you're supposed to experience that on yourself so you know what it's like. So we partnered up and we were to choke each other out. So I choked out my partner and you know they're out for like eight seconds, 10 seconds, and they're drooling everywhere, it's awful. And so my partner goes to, to uh, choke me out and he's a smaller guy than I am, so he has a tough time, he can't do it. I'm like, ah, oh, this is hurting, this is hurting. And the instructor was a former Marine retired with biceps the size of the Eiffel Tower, just huge. And this guy, comes over to me and he says, I have never not choked somebody out. Are you ready? And I was like, I guess. Yes. So he starts squeezing really tight. I'm like, it's not working. And I just black out. And it felt like I was out for probably like eight hours. I felt like I had an eight-hour nap. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's the difference. You won't be, you, like the drooling. Like, when, you, when you do it, we had a, a guy who literally, I thought he was joking. We, one of the girls was demonstrating a, a choke. And... And he was snoring. Yeah. <laughs> he went out. He, yeah. he went completely out. Yeah. We thought he was just joking. We thought you, he just, just cut off. His, yeah, he just yeah. cut off the circulation. He was just and he's out. out. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, no, okay. It's not what you yeah. thought it would look like. Yeah, but it's, it was so, pretty awesome. Well, I knew. So we're making up for the fact that we didn't record at the Bible Museum. Yeah, well, we didn't. We I know. Didn't. Sad day. Uh, we You're, had you know, some technical so difficulties. You, James, need to listen to your wife. <clears throat> I'm just saying. Yeah, we had an entire lunch, and Stacy's like, "We need to be recording right now." We had an entire conversation. Yes, I know where we, but did we not realize that that Andrew is a Sabbatarian, but just doesn't want to call himself that? That that is true. You know, I mean, I, I will say, like, I had a very different understanding of the way you were expressing it. And I think uh, probably some of that was we had uh, like a different understanding of terms, and then I, we hashed that out, and that was uh, that was actually very helpful. Well, that was nice. I I because I approached things a little differently and mm -hmm. yeah I mean I'm, and that's why it's like you guys thought I was dispensational you, you addressed the typical dispensational view mm -hmm. and you found out that I don't really fit into camps too well
<laughs> so I'm Rapportian. If you want to know what that is, you have to ask me. It's uh, Rapportianism. It's, you know, what Rapport believes. Or is, that, is that what the ring's for? Yeah, the R in the ring. That? Yeah. yeah. Actually, the sad thing is, so I got this ring, my father got it for me when I was 18, and I, mm-hmm. I got the R so I could give it to my son when he turns 18. Mm. My son's like, I don't like rings. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it, I keep it. It's a, okay. Yeah, it must be a younger generation thing. I'm not a big fan of rings either. I only wear, I only wear my wedding ring. You, you see ring. how he just, he just call himself younger that way? That was that subtle slam of, yeah, you're old, Andrew. That's hey, the second well, old reference he just made. He does that, that a lot. That there, one so. was accidental, to be fair. That was an accidental old remark. I didn't mean it. You know, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it's accidental because I don't think he's smart enough to actually. It make was it accidental, <laughs> and I'm not smart. I'm enough. Not, but I, I actually like rings. Uh, the only reason I don't wear them because they're super flashy, and sometimes I feel very prideful wearing some of them. So. Yeah. Hint, hint. Well, I'm just so, <laughs> no, so no, the thing yeah. is, so, so the, the thing is, so like this, these two both came from my father. This is my father's. Oh, okay. um, my mother gave it to him as first wedding anniversary. So I, I have I have some jewelry that I got that I wear because it's sentimental. Mm-hmm. Um, when my father dies, people are really going to have an issue with the ring that I get when he dies. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's people. Is, it is kind of a thing. Like feel, you know, when you're in ministry, mm-hmm. people have this expectation, and then I have a kind of well-to-do family, and I was, you know, my father sold his Rolex that he was going to give me when he passed away so he could buy a boat, and so then, I guess to make up for it, he bought me a, a Rolex, so I have a mm. Rolex, and it's like, I, I, my wife is like, are you going to wear that to, you're going to a church, and you're going to ask for money, and you're wearing a Rolex, <laughs> like, yeah, I guess that doesn't quite work well, True. <laughs> you know, I'm pulling up in a, in a Mercedes-Benz that my brother gave me. So wow. it's like you know, I really, you know, I, I really am in the wrong. I should, I should be working with uh, you know Joel Steen or someone because I, I guess you know. Yeah, crypto dollars jet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what they're playing over there, but it sounds good. Sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to walk around and see. So. So so what what are the things that you're most interested in? Oh wait, you're the thing that you guys were most interested in G three was coming to the Striving Fraternity booth, right? Absolutely. 100%. So you can hear, be here to record on the rap report because your recording at the Bible Museum did not work out so well. Now, yeah. here's the thing. Let's get the record straight. You guys recorded on your way to the Museum of the Bible, correct? That's correct. correct. And the car noise was so loud that it just couldn't... Yeah, it wasn't salvageable, so we had to trash it. Okay. I, I really mm-hmm. appreciate you guys admitting that uh, you use a soundboard... For all the other times. <laughs> oh my goodness. Because the one time you no, actually tried to do it no, in a car, that's uh, no, you couldn't no, use the audio. It was a different car. So it was it's funny, we actually used Kevin, Kevin actually used his wife's car to drive up there. And I guess we didn't realize how we've never recorded we've never recorded in her car before, and it was bad. So well, that's why we don't record in my car because we tried that early on, True. and it was noticeable. True. So Kevin, uh, Kevin's got I, a nice. I think for the record, nice car. I think for the record. So far, I think I have no video evidence. I just, I all I saw was something. And you will that, not get video evidence. Yeah. And so, as far as I know, my I, my theory is still being held that you guys are not actually driving well, when you're doing theology. Hey, well, you know, you, you are you're just using a soundboard. You, you can't you can't see logic either, and and it exists. So yeah, I'm with you. You know, I, I look at it this way. A- Andrew Andrew just made a really good point. There's the theory of evolution, and mm. then there's the theory that we're not actually driving. <laughs> 
That's really helpful. Yeah, I think that's really good. That's really helpful. I'm glad to see. And you heard it here first on the rap report that Andrew is in the same camp. I would love to see what you would do if you did an intro for the rap report. I would totally do it if you wanted me to. I'd be like, welcome to the rap report. But obviously, it would sound. Got to work on that stutter. It would sound cool. Yeah, I know. I can't do the preacher stutter, man. I've tried. You know, you know what I'm talking about when the preacher gets up there, he goes, and, 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 and he's sad, and he's like really, really excited, and I'm like, yeah, I, I, I can't do that. I guess I've never seen that, sorry. It happens all the time. It's a Baptist thing. It, it's, you probably, understand. it's probably a Southern Baptist thing. Uh, I don't know. No. I've been to a lot of Southern Baptist churches. I have, not, not Southern Baptist, just a Southern Baptist. No. Two, two uh, you might, yeah, you, you might be accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, In the up north, you don't get that. No, I get it. In the yeah. South, and they're Baptist. I'm not yeah. from the South, though, so that doesn't offend me. Yeah. I'm from the west. I'm from the left coast. <laughs> yeah, the far left. Yeah, the far left coast. Yeah. I'm not proud of it, but it's true. It is what it is, so. Do you resemble that mar- remark? That I do. That's the question. Okay. So you're I a resemble it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I resemble it. So what are you guys looking forward to? G3. Um, this Interrupting is actually, James. This is actually my first time coming to G3. Uh, last, time, last year I tried to come, but I got the flu. And everybody was okay with me coming because I was recovering, but my pastor said, you're not allowed to come. And then he came back with the flu. Um, it is so <laughs> true. Yes, that happened, I remember. Because we were like, come on, man. He's like, no, I can't get, I can't get sick. Yeah. And well, then he got sick. So, <clears throat> Kevin, do you guys hear that? Kevin had told me, I think at the Museum and Bible, I think is when I heard it, when... Uh, when he said he, the, fir- the first time we met here at G3, did he tell it? Sure. Yeah. Okay, uh, I want to hear what he told you guys. So that may be more entertaining. <laughs> basically, uh, he went up to go see Justin Peters, and he asked some random dude, haggard-looking guy, older man, uh, to take a photo of him and uh, him and Justin. And it turns out that was Andrew Rappaport. <laughs> and Andrew remembered meeting Kevin because you didn't know who Kevin was, but you no. re- you re- you recognized his face. And then later on when they met, Andrew's like, well, no, we've met before. And Kevin's like, when? And he's like, I took your photo of you and Justin Peters when you cast me aside like some servant boy. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty he, awkward. Said, he goes, I, I thought that you were just... No, he actually, he recognized me because he, but not right away. Uh-oh. Speaking of... There's what? trouble. There's trouble. So, uh, There's trouble over here. Yeah, we're, we, we came in here and realized that you know, we're we're in a booth next to one of the greatest radio voice like ever. Uh, why don't I just give? I'm just, it, let me I just mean, give him. Like, uh, let me just give him my seat real quick. No, yeah, I was gonna so, say. Uh, I, I don't even want my boy to contribute. Just let him come on. Oh, I'm going to grab him later. What am I doing? Oh, I don't know. We're just recording. I'm going to kick over <laughs> everything. Is what we're, I'm going to do. We're just we're at, we're just. Uh, do you guys, you know these guys from Theology Driven Podcast? I love Theology Driven. They are a great podcast. You guys listen to his, right? Just, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. You kind of have to listen to podcasts that are better. So that, you know. Scott said that he had, ah. you have to listen to podcasts that are better because that's how Scott thinks he learns to get better. Well, my my he, podcast was really only average until I got my wife on. And, and then it, we stepped up a level once Becky got on. Yeah. <laughs> So, you obviously enjoy embarrassing your wife, don't you, as, as I do. Um, you know, it's the reason my wife doesn't like traveling with me. <laughs> I can't imagine, yeah, Andrew. Right. <laughs> so, okay, so, true story. We got the guys from CARM on the side over here for us. So, they're gonna, they'll, they'll laugh at this and they've already heard the story, probably. So, we're, we're, at, we're at a conference in California. Matt Slick is sitting there. And he's already laughing. He already knows it's the story. We're in California. They had just passed same-sex marriage at this point. 
and he brings his wife. And he wants his, everyone to recognize his wife. He's like, come on, honey, raise your hand. Raise your hand so everyone can see you. And I know she's not going to raise her hand because I know her. So I proudly lift my hand up really high. <laughs> it's probably the only time I've seen Matt Slick turn completely red. <laughs> and he's like, he goes, not you, honey. And he's like, wait, that's legal in this state now, though, right? <laughs> you know, so, it only it was, occurred to me that Christian Apologetic Research Ministry booth next to yours is CARM. It only just occurred to me that this is CARM. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so well, used to calling it CARM, I don't even think about what it stands for anymore. So. <laughs> they should go to tech. Yeah, that's, that's right. I know the tech, that, that's right. That's that's because nobody actually knows what what stands for. That's right. Either. It's just well, what. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, it's, you know, they should do like KFC and, you know, just change it from Kentucky Fried Chicken to KFC. They should just change it permanently to CARM because... Okay. He's wearing it now. Well, <laughs> no, he's, I was trying to improve his booth over there. I kept putting the striving fraternity. <laughs> well, who knows what kind Banner of uh, uh, you know conspiracy theories would come out of that? Because as soon as KFC did that, people assumed that they couldn't legally call it chicken, and they were changing the. No, actually, to, there is people there, said it all. No, no, actually, there, there's a, there's a real story of why they changed their name. So, I had, I had an attorney who told me that what ended up. <clears throat> so here's the backdrop. <clears throat> couple buys a house, they go in the attic, and obviously a previous owner never went in the attic. There's stuff from previous owners up in the attic, and they're going through stuff where they found a box of recipes, and one of them was some fried chicken. And they were like, wow, this tastes an awful lot like the Colonel's Secret Recipe. So they sent it in to Kentucky Fried Chicken asking, hey, is this the Colonel's Secret Recipe? The response was a lawsuit. And they went, whoops. Oh. Well, it turns out mm. they bought a house with the original recipe. And so the attorney said, the judge judged that they owned the original recipe. Huh. Oh, wow. And therefore, now all of a sudden they were in for a big reverse suit. And so the settlement was they had to change their name. And so mm. I think the origi- there's some of the, there's like some that were not part of the, a uh, certain part of the franchise that can keep the name, but the others became KFC. So if you see it, a Kentucky it, Fried Chicken, it's actually separate from KFC. It, yeah, so I think that my understanding is that's supposed to be Interesting. separate. Interesting. Okay. It's supposed to be like the there. There's like a certain ones that were the original that, and so you're always you, told that the reason why they did that was because they were trying to avoid the impression of eating really fatty food that was called Kentucky Fried Chicken. So they just abbreviated it to KFC. That's what I. That's what I keep hearing. Who cares? That's the best part of what. I know. It's the fried part. That's why I go that's there. You eat that. <laughs> I don't care if it's chicken in it. I want the fried. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. there for. Even if it's dog, it, it, fried it's dog fried. is good. Yeah. <laughs> Scott didn't like that part. Yeah. Scott, don't, don't go, don't go to Korea. We we had someone that we, yeah. we 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 knew someone that they uh, they were teaching. They went to Korea for a year, and. Um, they thought while they're in Korea for a year, they should get a pet. And they went into a store, and um, they decided, oh, look at that cute little puppy. I'll, they walked the store, I'll take that one. And they said, okay. They took the dog, went in the back, came back out in a little bit, and gave him a bag. And that was the dog. <laughs> they suddenly realized this was not a pet store. It was a butcher shop. <laughs> Welcome to Korea. <laughs> Poor woman was horrified because <laughs> she picked it out because it's so cute. <laughs> so, so what's I was going to get my my seat back to Scott, but he just, yeah, he just Scott ran off. off. <laughs> yeah, he just scared him off. So, uh, 
So you do listen to Theology Driven? I do. I love the concept behind it of driving around and talking theology. Oh, you, you're going to need to listen. You hit a sore spot right you're there. You're going to need to listen. We, we just proved they're not driving around for sure. And and, and, that, and These are all speculations wait, wait, on the, the looks, part. Listen, listen. Disclaimer. For folks listening, the look on, on your face and Scott's face, okay, when when because I just asked them I'm like I, they they said they were recording this video this audio on the way to the museum of the Bible where we were meeting yeah and they and I said so and you couldn't use it? no the sound quality was so bad we couldn't use any of it and yet their podcast doesn't sound really clear so that proves when <laughs> they were car they, they say it's a different car but clearly <laughs> that proves that it's a soundboard yeah it's a soundboard as I you, as I played you know I'm what like, we're gonna have to have you down just for an episode and drive you around that's what the museum of the Bible you, trip was supposed to. And, and you gonna, guys left early. Well, we didn't. You, you hey, ditched it. Well, you know, I, I blame that solely on Kevin. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, when, the years that I was in radio, which I did radio for uh, 20-something years, uh, when I was a program director at one point, I wanted to do a program, either the early morning drive or the drive at 5, where the hosts are actually driving around. So they're experiencing traffic with everybody else who's driving with them. But at the time, you, you, the technology just wasn't there it, to no, be able you, to do you, that affordably. You could not do that in Jersey. Because, I mean, you can't, <laughs> use, that, Kansas. Yeah, you you know, can't I mean, use that kind of language on the radio. I mean, it's, it's a different kind of traffic we yeah. have. You know, people sit there, it's like... You, you go through the, the law and the gospel, and you're sitting there, and you ask for, have you ever been angry? They say no. Clearly, you've never driven in New Jersey. <laughs> you've well, never. So people have died a few times. I mean, there's been some people that that angrily cut us off, or like a, a truck that comes wheels. out of nowhere. Yeah. There was one time we actually went to go pick up some uh, some long two by fours, and um, and we were in my car actually, and so I'm in a Honda Civic. So what I do is I lay the back seats down and I run it through the trunk and it goes all the way up to the front where the steering wheel's at. And so I was trying to make a U-turn while we're sitting recording and all the two-by-fours, there's probably about like eight of them stacked up high, they shift and jam my wheel stuck in the U-turn. So I'm like turning right into the media. And Kevin's like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, stop pushing. Grab on the board. Somebody <laughs> get now, these boards. He's telling that story, but he actually wasn't driving it. Well, that, that's, what you, that's what you so, keep so, saying, yeah. So on, on the rack report, I actually they said, "Look, can you make the you know can you look? I'm lowering the window. I showed with my soundboard that I was able to do all those same things. <laughs> I even I could add an ambulance. I, I added the rain. <laughs> he I might have actually been recording in his car when I do that. We don't have video report or video uh, evidence that he was using a soundboard. That's, that's true. true. Uh, reverse. Uh, so yes. I, that's fine. Like, I mean, we will we will add in. I will do the next time. I, I'll put some crickets next time you're talking something smart. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be the only one. Kevin's done that already. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I love the concept driving around talking theology. Yeah. It's uh, it kind of adds to the dynamic of you know Deuteronomy six. Uh, wherever you are, where, where you go by the way, whether you sit or whether you rise, uh, uh, you continue to remember these uh, these things that I have written to my people. And so they're continuing to talk about those theological things, even in car rides. So yeah. uh, in, well, encouraging how, the conversations okay. all the more. That's sort of what that verse was supposed to be. I, I remember a rabbi, I was in a rabbi's house, he was trying to convert me back to, to Judaism. And we were talking about that passage. Yeah. And we were exegeting the passage. And I'm trying to emphasize to him that the importance of that passage, the command, is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Yeah. He's trying to convince me that the command 
is to put th- that passage on, on your, your doorpost door right. and on your wrists and between your eyes. Yes. And, can, and that's what they, they actually take that and right. they'll put it on a door. It's called a mezuzah. And they'll put it in a thing called a phylactery, a little box that they tie to their hands and they tie to the front lids of their eyes. Right. And they, they take that literal and they say, no, that's the command. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're just really not getting what this text is right. saying here. <laughs> that we have uh, a family in our church that moved into a house and we could tell that the previous family were Jewish because of what they had in the doorpost. Yes. So. Yeah. yeah I, well, I walked into a home. Uh, I remember when I was, I was looking to buy a home, and I walked in, and I immediately said, Orthodox Jew lives here. And the person was like, how did you know that? Because, uh, I mean, many Jews, even even the more liberal ones, will have the mezuzah. Yeah. But they have all the light switches have the thing that, that's set for sunset and sun sunrise. Uh-huh. So on the Sabbath, they don't have to turn the light on and off. It's automatic. Therefore, if they're not actually pushing the switch... It's not work. It's not well. Mm. It's it's not about the work. This is how I feel. We don't understand. It's not about the work. It's about creating a fire. Turning the light on is a spark, and that's uh, like lighting a fire. Okay. I'm like, but wait, you're programming something else to do to create the fire. Right. So you're still doing it. Right. Right. <laughs> Your bond servant is computer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once I had a, I had an Orthodox uh, guy who lived in my neighborhood, and he, he wanted to watch the the uh, one of the test matches. He asked if I could come over and turn his TV on for him because he couldn't do it. He forgot to leave it on. <laughs> That's so, cheating. Well, <laughs> well but, Andrew, but, I do got to get going. Uh, they're yeah. about to start up over there, so, but uh, right. I definitely appreciate you. you so you need me to on. listen to your wife more. Yes, I 100% agree. Who's right. nodding? Who is nodding? Yes. <laughs> we we had a great discussion on the Sabbath, and she was telling him, "You should be recording this. You should be recording this." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." And then he, after he gets done, he goes. I should have been recording this. <laughs> <laughs> Hence my better half. So yeah, but we're Andrew, gonna get going too. Right, thank you. Yep. Good having you guys on. Thank you so much. All right. So that was theology driven, and what we got for you now is the great guy from Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, Luke Wayne. He is one of the researchers over with CARM. And so we're going to talk to him a tad bit about King James onlyism. Uh, but before we do, want to just give you guys a heads up and let you know to be checking out the other podcasts that we have on the Christian Podcast Community. We have Theology Gals, which is one of the newest additions. They've been recording for a while, but they've joined the community. And starting up. Well, this week, we hope, he's just waiting for his intro music, is Justin Peters. You can start subscribing to his podcast called Didache. You can do it one or two ways. Search for Didache, and you go, wait a minute, I have no idea how to spell that. That's okay. Just type in Justin Peters, and it's basically going to be the one that has his logo with the tree in it. It's going to be the one that says Didache. So just subscribe to that, so when he starts recording, you have that. We have Apologetics Live, which is Matt Slick and I. We do a live show every Thursday night, 8 o'clock, and you can go to ApologeticsLive.com to join that, to ask your theological or apologetic questions. We have another one that's going to be starting up soon for you to check out, called So You Want to Be a Podcaster. Colleen Sharp, who is the administrator of the Christian podcast community, she and I will be helping folks learn how to be better podcasters. So check that out as well. To remind you, because not everyone got the message, if you're looking for those Monday through Friday two-minute rap reports, they're on a new feed. You go to Rap Report Daily. 
and that's where you're going to get those. We got a lot of new podcasts that are waiting to come on. We got some that have already been approved, and we are waiting to send out applications to about a well, we're going to send them to about a dozen people, but not all of them will be approved. And so those that will be approved, you're going to start seeing them pop up probably in February. So please check out the Christian Podcast Community. You want to look at all of our podcasts, you can go to ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. And now on to our interview with Luke Wayne. So here we are at G3 with uh, Luke Wayne from CARM, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. Uh, folks that are listening to the RAP Report, you're familiar with that. Uh, Matt and I do a regular, uh, Matt Slick is, is the founder of CARM. He does, a, we and I do a regular Apologetics Live podcast and show every Thursday night. So Luke, you're one of the researchers for CARM. Yes. And we recently on our Apologetics Live, we're talking about a lot of the work you just came out with recently, a whole slew of stuff on King James King James Version only. Yes, yes. Uh, so, so people in that movement really love you now, don't they? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably their favorite person. I get fan mail every day. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so here, here's a question I have. Because you, you've been studying this for a while, so what do, you, what do you think is the big issue? Why is it you think people get so hung up on something like King James only? Um, it's not King James only is, is just the, one of the most recent uh, manifestations of a long history of what I call sacred translationism um, which is a translation gets rendered in a language it becomes really popular generations later it's now the tradition everybody looks to it it, it has a sacred sound to it that old timey feel make, that you don't speak anymore now sounds like well that's the spiritual language and people cling to that it was true with the, the Septuagint and the, the Greek-speaking Christians in the early church, the Vulgate, when I go to Bulgaria, it's true of the old church Slavonic there, uh, the Amish hold to the Martin Luther ger old German translation, it's all over the place. King James onlyism is just our modern experience of that same sacred translationism that's just a human impulse to grab onto something traditional and spiritualize it. I'm, I'm laughing because as you're saying this, I'm just thinking, and I'm sure you've, you've probably been in a church where you've seen this, where someone speaks in modern vocabulary, all of a sudden they start praying and all of a sudden all of <laughs> yes, their prayers yes. are it's like, you know, Elizabethan English. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Somehow God speaks King James English. Like, right, if I right. pray in, in a King James English, which, which is, you know, one of the funny things that um, is, you're familiar with Mormonism, and one of the things that always gets me with that is uh, Sandra Tanner had a, an article, I think Gerald put out, where they looked and all of the way that these and thous are used in the Book of Mormon, and they realize that the only places that the these and thous are actually used properly are what is it's quoting, plagiarizing the King James. I mean, people don't even realize there's a, a time to say thee and a time to say thou, and obviously Joseph yes. Smith didn't know that. Yes. In thee and his, thou are singular, ye is plural, yeah, there's a... Uh, there's a whole system. Joseph Smith was too far removed from Elizabethan English to know. <laughs> so so what, what are you working on right now, if you can share? Uh, what are you researching? Um, I've been writing articles on a, on a variety of things, but I, what I'm settling into at the, at the moment for a long-term research project is to, uh, um, to write on 
Armstrongism, the Herbert W. Armstrong, the false prophet of the 20th century, and uh, Worldwide Church of God um, split into a variety of fraction, factions that are out there. But it's a, a lot of a, a weird doctrine of God, but also a lot of... Uh, um, you have to keep the Old Testament feasts or you're not saved. You have to keep the Seventh-day Sabbath in their particular way or you're not saved. You have what's, to, what's their uh, particular way? Uh, meet, uh, you have to attend, attend their meetings at one of their organizations uh, on the seventh day okay. of every Sabbath. Uh, okay. Or just saying, I rest on Saturday. No, sorry, yeah. that's not going to cut it. You've got you to be one of them on Saturday okay. or you're not saved. <laughs> uh, and there's no other group that does things like that. No, not at all. No, actually, what one of my my intention is after writing on this, it would be um, involving much of the same research to then go on and discuss the uh, um, Hebrew Roots movement and uh, and the Torah observance movement within evangelical Christianity and deal with that as well. That would actually be... Probably a great, better one I was going to say to do, but that, that'd be one to do because I get so many questions. Uh, everyone, because of my Jewish background, I get so many questions on Hebrew roots. So many people that want to know about it, and um, so that's that's an important one. That there's really nothing out there really written on it. So I'd encourage you to do that. Um, so I know we're going to have we're going to have a bunch of people coming to our booths here. We're we're right next to each other. You're yep. stuck next to me all week <laughs> long, you poor thing, man. It is rough. It is rough. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Hey, it was a pleasure to be here. All right, so that was Luke Wayne, great brother in the Lord and great researcher over at Carmel. We were talking about Mormonism, and so just to let you guys know of a book that we have out on Mormonism that you can get at the Striving for Eternity store. Check out this book that came out last year in 2018. Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore or order directly from mrm.org. Hey, Todd Friel, what would be a good book to get if I wanted to learn about Mormonism and some other religions? Can you tell me? Ding dong! Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong! Mormons! Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe? When we witness to people, we need to present the truth, but it is very wise to know what they believe, and you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at whatdothebelieve.com. And I think that is a very good book to have. Maybe I'm a little bit biased there, but it was 14 years of research so that you don't have to. Studying from original sources, what I tried to do is not refute those religions, but actually tell you what they believe. Why? So that when you talk to a Mormon, you talk to a Muslim, you talk to someone that believes those beliefs, you can say this is what they believe, and they're going to respect you, not reject you out of hand, because you'll be accurate in understanding what they believe. That's the thing. I run into many Muslims that tell me I believe in three gods. I No, and immediately I don't trust anything they're going to say about my religion. Why? Because 
they just misrepresented it. This next interview that we have is with Pastor Sean Hill. He's the pastor of a church plant and got to meet him. It was very interesting to talk with him because he was someone who went to atheism and then recognized that that wasn't true. And so I hope that you'll enjoy this interview with a former atheist turned pastor. All right, well, I'm here at G3 again, and I'm with Pastor Sean Hill. He is from... Um, Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Yeah, New, well, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and it's, I forgot the name of the church already, you just told me. A Discipleship Community Church, D- yeah. Discipleship Community Church. Now, here's the thing, folks, I, I asked him to come over and, and chat with us, because he comes from an interesting background, and he went from one background to being a pastor, and one of the folks in his church came over, shared with me his story, and I was like, oh, that's really cool, let's, let's get this recorded. So, what, what was your background? I was uh, I was an atheist before I became a Christian, and now I'm also uh, now I'm a pastor. <laughs> so, what, how did that transformation occur? Um, so, yeah, my, uh, what what ended up happening was uh, I was uh, invited by a church member, uh, a lady from a church, and uh, she just kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me to come, and uh, I ended up saying yes. She was a girl my age, and uh, so I finally went. <clears throat> And my now fellow pastor, uh, Pastor Craig Cole, he uh, was preaching expositional Bible preaching and teaching straight from the Bible. And it was the first time I actually understood what was going on with the Bible. Like, I didn't know what John and Mark and Luke and all those (laughs) names were at the top of the Bible. I was like, what's Philemon? Yeah, things like that. So, um, So did you have, like, I had, because the first time I got the the book of Job. Like what? Yeah, uh, yeah, stuff like that, like Genesis. Like, I always just heard weird things about the Bible. Uh, grew up with it in a family of. Uh, uh, my mom is a ACG Catholic, Easter Christmas guilt, uh, say, and then my uh, my dad is a kind of go with the flow kind of religion guy. You know, just hey, if you want to believe in Buddha, believe in Buddha. If you want to believe in Allah, believe in Allah. Whatever, just uh, religions, however you want it, and. Uh, I just uh, became an atheist because uh, um, I got into the worldview and thought, wow, there's a lot of injustice in the world and things like that. So I said, I'm going to be an atheist. But when I became a Christian, that that transition was from hearing the Word of God uh, being taught expositionally to where I learned how to read the Bible. And that's what, what impacted my faith the most was uh, learning how to read the Bible and reading um, uh, this starting off with Matthew, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just went straight through, and I just got pierced to the soul um, reading uh, the Sermon on the Mount. That's what what hit me the most was when I read, um, uh, if you even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery. And uh, what what really did it for me was... um, uh, that because I I was just it just got out of a relationship with a girl that I had sexual intercourse with before marriage and and I knew according to the Bible that was probably not the best thing <laughs> um, but Jesus when Jesus spoke with authority that's what really hit me <laughs> um, yeah and I think I think you hit on a key thing that a lot of people don't understand you said when you teach the Bible and learn it expositionally you, you actually learn it and that's when it speaks. Yeah. So many of these pastors nowadays, they don't want to do that. They think, oh, I have to be entertaining. I have to make it so people are excited to be here. 
the Bible's exciting enough if you preach it properly. Yeah, I uh, when I was a kid, uh, my parents did send me to a, a Sunday school, and I remember being a kid, and I, my buddy and I were a little bit rebellious, but I would say for the right reasons. We we wanted to be with the adults. We, <laughs> want, we wanted to be in the big boy church, you know, we would say. So we snuck out, we went to the big boy church, and every time I heard a sermon there, I was like, where are they even talking about? Can somebody just, just teach me how to read this thing? <laughs> you know, th- those are my thoughts, but I always just thought the Bible's for adults, you know, and, and that, that was probably uh, one of the things that kind of led me to being an atheist was no one ever sat down and read the Bible with me because uh, my father, he, he uh, was unable to read, so he couldn't read it to me. My mom was Catholic, so he was taught not to read the Bible, so just... A lot of uh, a lot of mess there. <laughs> so, Sean, when you when you started trying to believe in, in atheism, what do you think was the strongest argument that you thought that convinced you that atheism was right? Well, um, what what stuck with me was uh, was the you know, problem with the problem of evil would probably be the philosophical uh, <clears throat> definition. For me, at the time, it was just my my grandfather passed away. Um, he, I, I wear his, his ring. His ring is going to be my wedding ring. Um, but he, uh, when he passed away, it was like I lost my best friend. And um, yeah, so one of my friends, she said, you know, about atheism, and that you know, if there, if God did exist, why would, why would he allow bad things to happen? And and I thought about that, and I said, you know, that's, that's probably true. And um, when a series of other unfortunate events took place in my life, my grandmother passed away, um, I started looking into atheism and ended up finding teachers that I, I loved. <laughs> Where did you find those teachers? Um, going on the internet. Uh, I, I looked up, uh, uh, I just looked up, there is no God, and instantly um, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, uh, Christopher Hitchens came up. Um, Still, actually, sad that that Christopher Hitchens passed away, even though he's not a believer. But, um, but yeah, well, he is. He is now. He is. He, oh yeah, he, he believes God exists now for sure. Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, he knows yeah. without a doubt, unfortunately. Uh, yes. Um, but, but you know, you bring up because that's typically the number one issue people think that the problem of evil. Yes. And yet, when you think about it. How could there be evil without God? And this is the question I always ask when people say, well, what do you do with evil in the world? Mm-hmm. What do you mean, what do I do with it? I mean, yeah. if, if they believe that we're in a purely material world, there is no God, yeah. how do you account for evil in that world, thinking? Because you can't account for anything immaterial. You can't account for morality. It's just subjective. Yeah. And that, that was one of the hardest things for me, which led me to, to depression and, and even suicidal thoughts, was... Uh, come across atheism, it felt empowering at first, like, you can create your own destiny, uh, you know, uh, Richard Dawkins said, uh, you know, why worry about God, he doesn't exist anyway, you know, and, and I would I would think about that, and I was like, okay, yeah, at first it was good, but then I, I read stuff from Richard Dawkins, like, uh, there is no good, there is no evil, there's nothing but pitiless indifference. <laughs> um, yeah, and the thing is that they're trying to get around the fact that they're accountable to God. Oh, yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. Oh, if you pretend like evil doesn't exist, then we're not accountable. Yeah. And yet, the, the problem of evil is not a problem for the Christian. It's a problem for the atheist. Yes. Because they can't account for it, but they know it exists. So when they say, well, when they say evil exists, 
right there they got a problem. And I had a guy in New York who once, he thought it was going to be a tough question for me. He was like, he kept shouting, there is no God because there's evil in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, well, you tell me, how can you have evil without God? Yeah. And he suddenly, it was like, he didn't, he didn't, no. He said, well, you tell me what evil is. I said, I didn't say it exists. You did. How can you have evil without God? And he's like, well, you tell me. And so, said, what is evil? I said, well, evil is the absence of good. Good is defined by the nature of God. How can you have evil without God? And he realized, oh, I got a problem. And he left. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, he was one of my regular hecklers, so I see him every week. But, but the thing is, is that evil is not a problem for the Christian. It really is a problem for the, for the unbeliever. Yeah, um, I like it what Frank Turek says about it. He says, uh, you know, the atheists have to sit on God's lap to slap him in the face, essentially. And yeah. So it it was that kind of worldview that just just led me into depression. Like I actually ended up into nihilism and and, uh, and just felt like the yeah. Well, how can I be mad at the guys who bully me in school when that's what makes them happy? Uh, like. Uh, one guy, oh, wow. I, I, you know, which is what led me into atheistic thought was, you know, he was a he was a Catholic guy, and uh, yeah, he did like the Ash Wednesday, I'm giving up chocolate for a week kind of thing, and I just, you know, I had an idea that yeah, they're religious people, they're Christian people, and uh, when I needed the most grace, um, uh, when my grandfather passed away, uh, he uh, told me your grandfather died to get away from you. Wow, and. Uh, so I had a not so uh, fun view of religious people. Yeah. Had a not so fun view of, and, and that's sometimes people say some really bad things. Oh yeah, <laughs> and but you know, like you're saying, God could use that oh, even yeah. even if it pulls you away for a while. He he brings you to himself in the oh. end. That's that's good. Oh, I have I have no qualms anymore with what what God has put me through yeah. um, anymore because I've experienced uh, every year we had a family member pass away. Uh, my father, he he ended up disability because he had had heart issues and things like that, and um, a lot of good, a lot of bad, um, a lot of cancer in my family, um, and even myself, like experiencing death so much as somebody who was depressed, it 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 just made me made me feel more like life was pointless, and uh, so that that's the that's why I'm thankful I came to Christ to begin with. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I, I thank you for coming out here. Are you enjoying G3? Oh, yes. Uh, um, absolutely. I I enjoy it so much. It's, it's awesome to see some of my heroes uh, preaching and teaching the Word of God and to, to meet uh, fellow like evangelists. And it's, it's amazing to me. Um, do you mind if I say one more thing? Yeah. If that's yeah, okay. Yeah, go for it about just my own conversion experience. Yeah. Um, I, I solely give my conversion experience solely to the sovereignty of God to um, to bring me to salvation because apart from Him taking me, doing a work in me, introducing me to the Word of God, introducing me to, to, to like the case for Christ and, and Christian apologetics and introducing me to just reading the Word of God for what it is, I wouldn't be saved today. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, many atheists, if, if they listen to your, your stuff, they just need to know, they really actually need to study what the Word of God says that's right. before making a judgment call. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, it's a good point because I don't know how many people on the street, I want to get a t-shirt that says, come debate with me for hours about a book you never read. Yes. Because that's really what it is. Uh, I, I mean, I'll ask them, they're like, oh, Bible's full of contradictions. Give me one. And they're like, oh, there's so many of them. 
then you, it should be easy to give me one. And the reality is they can't give me one because they've never read it. Yeah. They've only read what people said about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not good science. I mean, yeah. for these guys who try to say they believe about science, right? Yeah, and I, I read uh, Skeptic's Annotated Bible. I have one that I actually use for Bible study to keep myself sharp. And uh, <laughs> So you know what the answer, what the challenges are going to be. Yeah, so I know what the challenges are going to be. And, um, you know, and, and never in, in talking with an atheist have they brought up one of these contradictions. And if they do, there's usually an easy answer. You That's know, what and, I find. I, you know, some of you are afraid to speak to atheists, and I usually find it's really easy because they don't... I, I hate to say it this way, but... A lot of times they don't ask really good questions. They're usually logical fallacies, mm-hmm. and but they sound really good. And because everyone's saying it, they think it's right. Yeah, and and for me, like atheists, like other atheists are easy to talk to because I've I've been in the mindset. But where where you need to look look at is just seeing them as people. You know, because yeah, there's there's always that behind the argument that the reason they bring up the problem of evil is probably because they had something bad happen to them in their life and. Um, and things like that, or, or if many times they're bringing up the intellectual arguments. Just to be honest, it's it's mostly out of pride. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that's where I was. It was mostly pride when I brought up the intellectual stuff. But when it came to like the emotional problem of evil, it was it was yeah out of that. <laughs> well, Sean, thanks for coming on. Oh yeah, thank you so much for having me. I I'm blessed by it. <laughs> All right. All right, so that was Pastor Sean, and that is a wrap on the wrap report. Next week, we'll wrap up with a couple of interviews we have with, well, two great brothers that I consider friends, Fred Butler and Kofi. And so they were there, and we we had talked with both of them. So that'll be next week on the wrap report. That'll wrap up our interviews that we took from G3. But I got some really great interviews coming up. If you listen to Wretched, you've already heard that Todd Friel is going to be coming on, and so we're looking forward to that. We're going to talk about discernment and knowing where to draw the line. So look forward to that on the wrap report. Remember to strive to make today an eternal day for the glory of God. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Radio, go out with Yanti and friends with the B-I-B-L-E. Bye
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.